Hey everybody, welcome to another Commission Podcast. This is for 2003 uh, Nautical Adventure War Film, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. I thought it was 1805. That's the year <laughs> I was told. Well, right. and you Looks know, they great just... for an 1805 film. Well, that's the thing. Peter Weir cheated. He actually teleported back to the 1805 <laughs> uh, with high-definition cameras and, and, and filmed everything. Uh, you can't get more historical accurate than that. Uh, as I alluded to, uh, Peter Weir directed this. Um, it was adapted from the novelizations. Uh, there's 20 books by Patrick O'Brien um, called the Aubrey uh, Maturin series. How, how thick are those books? Um, they're anywhere from like three to 500 pages. Okay. I think the thickest All book right. is the second one, uh, oddly. Hmm. Um, and uh, it was adapted by uh, Peter Weir and John Colley. Uh, I also want to shout out the um, cinematographer, which uh, I accidentally uh, forgot to write down his name. <laughs> uh, he is Russell Boyd, because uh, one of the things I, I found in the research is that uh, Peter Weir and Boyd and a couple of the other producers went on a uh, like like a partial circumnavigation on a replica of the HMS Endeavor, Whoa. which was one of the first ships that uh, that the, the famous uh, Captain Cook sailed around the the world. They actually did a rounding of the the Horn mm-hmm. as they showed, and those this the storm footage is actually footage that they shot on that thing, and then they digitally composited with their uh, mock up of the surprise that they had in this huge water gallon tank. It's the one they built for the Titanic hmm. in like Baja, Mexico, I think. Uh, but it's awesome. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, we've got two commissioners to thank. Uh, it's a community commission po- uh, podcast, but this was uh, largely snapped up during our Save Bald Move campaign last year <laughs> by Moz Beat and Stephen S. And I consider it a personal gift to me because this is one of my favorite favorite movies, favorite book series. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm going to bypass my review. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think you've talked a lot about this. Well, mm-hmm. I, I want to say you've you've talked about how much you like it. I don't think you've talked much about it. Right, because it's uh, very. I was I was surprised by it. I think. Oh, okay. Um, um, I would be interested to know what you think of it, Jim Jones. <laughs> I, I actually think it's great. Um, I thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This would be a real shit show if I hated it and you loved it. Um, but I, I was surprised by, uh, given what I've heard about it, mm-hmm. I thought. So, A, I didn't know Russell Crowe was the star. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know Paul Bettany was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those guys I really like, and I'll talk about that in a second. But I was surprised by how, I guess, narrative-driven this movie was. I expected more of like a docu- like a fictional documentary-style uh-huh. feel to it uh-huh. um, with not a whole lot of plot, not a whole lot of characterization. And what I got was more like a traditional Hollywood film, yeah. which surprised me. Huh. And I, mean, and I don't know why it surprised me. It must be based on something I heard about it. You thought? I mean, I, I think what's it, what's what's interesting about Patrick O'Brien, the way he writes his books, is he was a big fan of British naval history, and he he would read these like actual accounts of the battles in like the Naval Gazette, and then he would go and find you can still find preserved like the captain's own notes of these engagements and their log entries of where the ships were and when they first made contact. Yeah. And he had this idea of like, you know, holy hell, some of this stuff is amazing. I'm just going to write books and fictionalize the, you know, mix and match the best and, and, and the boldest. And and then this movie is essentially a remixed version of some of the best parts of all 20, 20 books. Like mm-hmm. uh, the Wikipedia says it contains elements from 13 of the 20 novels. Wow. 
Um, and like it, it plays like a highlight reel for um, a Patrick O'Brien guy, um, a fan that, that, such as I am. I mean, it's such a big topic to get into. Um, I'm surprised that you say that you didn't feel like it was a documentary because I, the, the thing I was worried about is it's, it's got a slow and deliberate pace. To kind of like really get you in the mind of what it was like to be the sailor, to have those like few moments of terror punctuated by long stretches of, of boredom. Absolutely. And the intro does really well yeah. to, to show you that. And, 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 but, but the things I thought that you would find interesting were like there's a little bit of Walking Dead in there where the threat of the environment is at least, if not more, dangerous than the enemy at hand. Mm-hmm. Like the fucking ocean just kill you. No, that storm scene was terrifying. Maybe, maybe the best scene of the whole movie, in right. my opinion. Right. And, and and uh, it's it, it's terrifying, and and the fact that these guys are in this little wooden boat, and they make one wrong mistake in seamanship, and two hundred <laughs> people die, and that's it. Yeah, that's the thing. I they they say at the beginning, oh, it's got twenty eight guns, and it's got one hundred ninety seven people, and I'm thinking, right. God damn, this is like a a horrible floating hotel that you can't leave, right? Except the hotel may get shot up at any time by exactly cannons. exactly or swept away in a typhoon yeah the other thing i thought that you might like about it is that i've i've often heard this described as like the best star trek prequel of all time okay yeah totally like that, if this that was first... the hms enterprise you can immediately start saying oh they're yeah. on this voyage of discovery but there's also hostile forces but that's not the whole point and there's these philosophical disagreements between the leads and i mean when you start it literally with the star trek 2 scene yeah. I don't know how you can't make that comparison, right? Right, right. Because that's essentially what they do. They go into the nebula right at the beginning. They do. They do. They, they tow for the nebula. Yeah. Um, but there's so many reasons, I guess, I love this this film. Um, I This film is, re- is the reason I started reading the books because I was a huge Russell Crowe fan. Um, I really like Gladiator. I really like The Beautiful Mind. Um, I can't remember all of the... Um, uh, like LA Confidential, all the stuff he'd been in up to this point, um, and it's interesting because I think a lot of the, a, a lot of what makes this works is the chemistry between you know um, Jack Aubrey, uh, Russell Crowe, and Paul Bettany, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who played Jack Aubrey and Stephen Matron respectively, um, and they had worked on The Beautiful Mind. If, if you recall, Paul Bettany was his imaginary roommate, right? Um, and they had this like really kind of easygoing chemistry and friendship that was instrumental because I think that's the if you don't nail that right, it's like if you cast a Kirk and Spock and they just don't have any chemistry, you're yeah. fucked. You're fucked before this, the the thing even starts. Uh-huh. Um, and and I thought that's really awesome. I also appreciate the historical accuracy. It's like there's very mm-hmm. rare historical films where you can't go on YouTube and find like just people savaging. And some of it's fair, some of it's not fair. But you will time and time again hear this as like one of the most historically accurate films of all time because mm-hmm. they filmed aboard a replica of a, you know, six-rate frigate just like the surprise was. Um they actually rebuilt partially rebuilt the ship from plans still on file at the Royal fucking Naval Shipyards for the HMS Surprise. Um, They spent $150 million to do all that. Wow. Um, And it's just like, and and I like some of the historical advisors, like there was a guy who had just excavated um, this sunken like 1792 frigate and had gone and cataloged all of his artifacts. They hired him to be 
like you know supervise the prop department and just like everything just like they sweat the details they mm-hmm. they inspected actual um uh uh uniforms from captains lieutenants they were like ushered into this hermetic room and the the royal archive of fucking ship clothes or whatever mm-hmm. and were able to feel it and, and look at it and weigh it and, and get the fabrics just right i mean just everything is is completely perfect from the sailing technology um and you know that's the other thing like i the re- I got into this because I was a big Russell Crowe fan, and I've got the first book because um, it's called Master and Commander: Far Side of the World. So I got the Master and Commander book that was like at all the stores, and I thought it was excellent. But then I found out that the Far Side of the World was book ten. I'm like, well, that's kind of bullshit. Hmm. I'm gonna skip around. So I just started the whole thing, and um, <laughs> it really made a big impre- impression on me. Like that's where I got like my desire to start sailing, mm-hmm. um, and now I've, I have a, a little sixteen foot boat and. Um, it's, I don't know. I, I said, I'm at a loss of like where to begin and where to, to, to get in, in, in here with you. Well, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Russell Crowe because we've seen a couple of his other movies this year. Um, American Gangster is yep. a big one that we watched this year for the first time. I think both of us, mm-hmm. uh, somehow I, w- if you would ask me at the beginning of this year, is Russell Crowe one of your favorite actors? I'd be like. He's good, but mm. I don't know that he's great. Steady, reliable, yeah. After watching a few more of his movies this year, I'm blown away by this guy. He's he's quietly become one of my favorite actors. Uh-huh. It, we saw, you know, 310 to Yuma not too long ago. Um I've I've just been catching up on his catalog. I've I've always loved Beautiful Mind and uh-huh. Gladiator and stuff like that, but yeah, he's really become one of my favorite actors. There's and, a lot of range there too. Like you play yeah. this mentally ill professor, you play this like kind of nerdy cigarette informer guy. Uh-huh. Um, you play this like you know conventionally masculine roles in in um, Gladiator and uh, Master and Commander, mm-hmm. and he he he's, he's just really versatile. You yeah, know, he can't, can't sing. He can't sing. In no. Les Mis, Les, I haven't Les, seen he's, it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's uh, kind of embarrassing in Les Mis. Just because he's next to Hugh Jackman, or because uh, he just can't. Well, do Well, yeah. If you're not a professional singer and you're with professional <laughs> singers, you you do kind of you know guys have been on yeah. Broadway and, and and can hold a tune. It's 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 pretty rough. Well, they wouldn't let him drink. Take him to a karaoke bar. There you go. And he's amazing. Right. I mean, he might be good because he's got a ba- he's in a band. He plays guitar. <laughs> right. he, he learned does. to play violin for this. Although I didn't. I was surprised to read that because. I thought his violin playing was kind of unconvincing. Uh, some parts of it were. I, mm. I was I was really like paying attention to that. Being uh-huh. a, a guitar player myself, I'm right. like hyper aware of that stuff. Right. It looked pretty good, but yeah, I some mean, of the stuff he was anybody. supposed to like, like the tremolo, because they had some really complicated pieces. Yeah, because um, that's a big part of the books. The thing. Jack and Steven are completely dissimilar, but they're kind of like they, they bond over this shared passion for music, making mm-hmm. it and enjoying it. That's how they met, um, and that's something that like uh, is, is a foundation of the friendship. So you have to have it in there, um, and I thought that the amount that was in there was just about perfect. Yeah, and like you said, the chemistry is real good with Paul Bettany, who is another actor I couldn't have necessarily put my finger on and said this is this right. is him by his name, but uh-huh. I know I've seen him in The Knight's Tale, which I thought was really good. Right. Um, probably some other stuff. Definitely a beautiful mind. He was a vision in the new um, Avengers Marvel Comics universe. Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. I, I know you have because I I want to say he was. I know he was in Captain America: Civil War. Was he? Yeah. 
Um, but hmm, he's also okay. not, he's also not like a, he's got exactly a household recon- recognition outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also was in a weird tenant. I mean, he hasn't like, that's the thing is like, I thought that like Paul Bettany would like explode. Like I thought he would get a lot of leading and it, it seemed like they gave him a shot and it just, and it's weird because even this film is amazing and it got nominated for every major prestigious category for Academy Award in 2003. The problem it came out during Lord of the Rings Return of the King, uh, yeah, where Hollywood yeah. collectively decided that it's time for us to get on our knees <laughs> and blow the New Zealander for uh, the billions of dollars he's made for us. They so could have fi- blown Russell Crowe. He's born in New Zealand. <laughs> right. Was he? I thought he was yeah. Australian. No, he's apparently Kiwi? born no, in New Zealand. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and it's like, you know, what's the, the – you get you got all this sucking up all the oxygen. Um, it is interesting because if you, like, browse, like, some of the movie subreddits, you'll see that this is often mentioned as some of the most underrated films or films that haven't got their due or films that have come like, – cult classic isn't the right word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just I, – I am always surprised that, um, number one, uh, it didn't make a, a, a bunch of money because um, – although the other thing is, like – why do you think it didn't make a lot of money? Because they spent a lot of money. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think they could have done this thing for eighty million, and, but, but do you don't, and you doubled don't, their budget. But two hundred and twelve million worldwide, just is what it made. That seems low for something with this much star power. And like, are period pieces bad? Is it the fact that the title's thirty words long? Yeah, master and commander of the far side of the world. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, um, yeah, I I really don't know because I I think like. Obviously, I'm the exception to the rule here, and I think maybe Pirates is successful because it's more way more fun. Yeah. Um, but I would much rather watch Master and Commander movies getting five, ten sequels than fucking Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. Uh, right. I I don't know. I mean, it's it's strange to me that this didn't become more of a hit. Now, maybe maybe they should have gone and done a sequel pretty close to this one because then you'd have some brand recognition there. Right. Um, with the Master and Commander series, but I guess it was maybe too risky. Uh, the first one didn't do yeah. super well. Yeah, but it and, did. I mean, how can you complain when you make seventy million dollars? I I right, and I guess with marketing, and I remember it being particularly poorly marketed. Like uh, you know, there wasn't the big budget. Like for one hundred fifty million dollars, there wasn't even like a half. And sometimes you see this. Like I saw that with like Cloud Atlas. Like. You know, fuck it. We're just going to like throw it out there and do a couple commercials the week before, and and there you go. Um, and I, but yeah. I felt like the it's almost like the 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 studio gave up on it before it was, you know, I, I for for whatever reason. I just remember being poorly marketed and being kind of outraged and get the attention it did. Because the other thing is, um, I mean, the other thing I guess that limits its appeal is like um, this movie doesn't pass the Bechtel test. Like, in fact, it might only have. <laughs> Three seconds of women in uh-huh. the whole film. Yeah. And I don't know to what extent that limits its appeal. Uh, Probably a bit. Yeah. Probably But I also bit. don't think it's your, a traditional just like testosterone-fueled fucking stupid action film war movie. There's no, like a totally. lot, of, lot of depth and a lot of – the other thing it does really well is it throws you in the middle of these situations just like the books do. Like you don't have a long introduction to Jack and Steve when they meet. It's just they meet at this music hall. They almost get in a duel. Um, and then, then, then the stuff just happens and Patrick O'Brien doesn't give a shit about how much you know about sailing. He's going to be talking, you know, uh, he's going to be throwing you 
top gallants and forcels and yeah. bosuns and all this right off the bat. And what I thought was great in the movie, like the first 15 minutes, like Jack is given this detailed account of the battle to the doctor and he gives like all this jargon and the doctor's like, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I can't pretend to know precisely what it is you're talking about. Uh-huh. And that's kind of his role through the first books is he's the landlubber who's always being like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? This makes no sense to me. And also kind of a sign that like you can largely treat the sailing terminology as technobabble. Sure. Yeah. And 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 just just trust that you're not going to get left behind if you don't understand every fucking word and just kind of like let it let it wash over you. And by the mm. third book, it's. It's similar to like watching The Wire. Like you, you start you, you, at first. You're like, "Oh my god, I can never remember all these characters." And by like the fifth or sixth episode, you'll just get it. Yeah, and you kind of have to trust the creators to do that. But I, I thought they did that well. Um, I th- do, I do have like a lot of questions about you know terminology and about how this stuff works and why they're doing certain things they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you can answer them, but I probably can. So, I hope so. So um, I guess I didn't realize going into this how much of like common colloquialisms come from the navy yeah like there were a couple things so okay this is not a a colloquialism but what the fuck does beat to quarters mean because when i hear the word quarters i think everybody go to sleep Mm. like beat to your quarters get the fuck out of here and go to sleep it means but it's it's exactly the opposite yeah it's essentially like red alert for star trek it's it's they the the drummer literally beats a a drum that lets every man and ship know that they 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 all have assigned battle stations essentially are those quarters yes okay yes and they also the other thing they did which i thought was and the first time i saw this movie i'd already read several of the books but they talk about like anytime there's a gunnery exercise or battle they make a clean sweep fore and aft. And what that literally means is they all the fucking walls in a ship just are disassembled in a matter of seconds. Oh, like, yeah. I saw and they showed that really cool. Like, as as Russell Crowe is walking through the ship after a battle or a gun exercise, you can see, yeah. like, the way, like, Captain Picard, the door's like, hiss, there's literally carpenters <laughs> assembling the walls around them as he's walking into his quarters and people are setting his dining room table back yeah. in place. Like, like when when the ship's geared for war, there ain't shit in the way. Everything's either down in the hull or like they throw all the boats overside because because they they don't want them on the deck and they might yeah. have to tow the ship in a battle. And so that's the thing I was wondering about those life. I thought they were lifeboats that were going out. Like if the ship sinks, we can get to these boats. And I mean that's part. That's one of the okay, that's one of their purposes. Yeah. Um, then they use them to tow the boat into the nebula. <laughs> exactly. They because like you know when the ship takes battle damage, it can't maneuver. You can if you get your right. rudder shot away like the surprise did. You re- literally can't maneuver. Um, so you have like, you can, you can do things like have your men tow right into the eye of the wind. So the enemy has a hard time following. And yeah. then if you make it to a fog bank, if you make it to nebula, then right. Um, but yeah, the, the other, the other term you mentioned this, so, so they were disabled and, and they say we're like fish in a barrel is uh-huh. fish in a barrel. Like supposed to talk about sailors in a boat that's disabled. I don't think so. Is that the original I think it usage? literally is like there's fish in a barrel and you're shooting them. Okay. All right, then that did that term doesn't come from the navy, I imagine. But there is like a lot of like like they mentioned like I'd rather have my men being three sheets to the wind on occasion than mm-hmm. be you know that's a nautical term like a sheet to the wind means your men have like let one of like because because you know the ship's attached to the top of these um, I think they're called cross trees and then they're secured at the bottom and if you have a sloppy crew or someone that doesn't know their job they might let one of those lines loose. fly and then the yeah. thing will just. So if you had three sheets to like, then you're not moving. Then it's <laughs> like the whole fucking ship is just like it's 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 a really you know um, 
It's chaos. Yeah, it's chaos. So it's it's it's, it's like a drunken, slovenly pirate type of ship. Um, okay. And the final one that I have a question uh-huh. about. Somewhere along the line in this movie, I saw a guy sitting on the front of the ship uh-huh. taking a shit, uh-huh. which it was the middle of winter and he's freezing to death mm-hmm. on the front of this boat. I don't know why he's doing that. But you said this is literally... I think you said this is where the term the head comes it from. It is, yeah. Ah, Jesus. People go why, to the head. Why go to the front of the boat to do that? A, I see a couple of problems. A, it's very windy up there, <laughs> uh-huh. right? So you're you're going to freeze your nuts off, literally. Right. Um, B, you're shitting all over the boat because the wind is just blowing the the shit right onto the boat. So why not go to the back of the boat to do this? <laughs> okay, well there's 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 some there's some practical answers and some political answers. Um, oh boy! So what divides the officers from the crew is the the main mast. Like you, you say, like you've got your officers and then the four mast jacks, mm-hmm. and that literally means the sailors that are before the mast. Okay. Um, and behind, you know, backwards from the mast, like everyone, like even the, the midshipmen, which are the junior officers, they have they like have like a, a combined quarters, but they have privacy. You know, they have bunks and stuff, but they don't have they're not sleeping ass to ass and, and hammocks with the with the men. Uh-huh. Then the like lieutenants and the, the warrant officers have small cabins and then the captain has the biggest one. The, Captain's yeah. the only one that has a shitter. And they actually show that when he's like examining a hole blown through, you can kind of see that's his, called his hole, yeah. His, his quarter galley. Uh-huh. Um but the men, the reason they have to shit up front is because um the the ships are designed with this thing called tumble home, which means they're wider at the sh- at the waterline than they are at the um, actually rail huh, okay and that's there's a bunch of reasons it shifts the center of gravity around but also yep. makes it harder to board because oh, like yeah. if they come up against each other you're still like 16 feet apart yep. so if you just hang your ass over the side you're gonna literally shit on the side of the ship <laughs> right um so the custom is to go to the front where there's like you know it's just going to drop right into the ocean and they tr- do the 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 i think the windward side so the smell would be blown <laughs> away, away from, from yeah. the thing but you're not allowed you wouldn't be allowed to shit in the captain's galley just because the captain kind of owns the back of the boat, he does. He does. Uh, which fact, is like, another thing I've never understood. Uh-huh. Why is that? Go, go ahead. I'll, well, I was going to say the other thing next. is like they, they a lot of times Captain O'Brien or Captain O'Brien Patrick O'Brien refers to the quarter deck as the holy quarter deck, mm-hmm. and and the the windward side especially is like that's that's for the captain. Like you don't fucking go and bother the captain unless he asks you to, or unless you have something very damn important to report because. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of ice. That's the other thing. There's a lot of loneliness and isolation to that command that we can mm-hmm. talk about. Because I want to talk about the leadership and command aspects too. But your other question. So, if I were to tell you, look, I've got a new car that I'm making, mm-hmm. and the steering wheel is in front of a seat that is mounted to the back of the car, it's uh-huh. the trunk, uh-huh. and between you and the front of the car and the road that you're looking down is going to be a giant flapping piece of canvas. Uh-huh. That you won't be able to see around in the best of circumstances, <laughs> right? Would you buy that car? Uh, you know, if it's the only, it's the only game in town. So th- this is my problem with the boats. I do, uh-huh. and maybe it's a safety thing. Maybe the captain's at the back of the boat so he doesn't get shot by cannonballs. Mm-hmm. But why isn't the captain at the front of the boat? Uh, because you're right. The steering mechanism is in the back of the boat because the rudder is in the back of the boat, and like a linkage that would run to the very front of the I guess boat, get destroyed. Pretty exactly. Easily. Yeah. Like it's it's those things are like that's the most vul- the you know the ass of the boat's the most vulnerable. If you had some kind of chain or rope system going through the entire ship, well then any yeah. any ball that goes through it could sever that all important link. Always put two feet of oak around it. <laughs> well, apparently- that's, that's what the Americans did. Yeah. Um, so the other thing is um, they also the quarter deck is like elevated. 
Mm-hmm. And in battle or when they're doing maneuvers, they like the 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 lower main sails would all be kind of up, so you have a lot more vis. Oh, the, okay. You'd have a lot more visibility. It's only when you're trying to outrun. Yeah, like run really yeah, fast. You're just running. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sail down the full way or something. Yeah, and it's le- It's 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 a lot less important to see where you're going when you're. In, I mean, like, yeah. there's just so much fucking space in the ocean. Yeah, right. And they know from their charts, like, you know, they've got 500 m- miles of sea room before they mm-hmm. even have to start worrying about running aground. So it's just it's more important to just fucking take your fastest point of sail and either run or chase this guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, like, I, I meant to. I'm kind of jumping all over the place. But the historical accuracy, the the one net, the one nick, is that they did a lot of like unfixable damage by moving in the books. Um, the far side of the world takes place in 1813, right? When England's at war with America, mm-hmm. and this Acheron, this French 4400 gun warship, is actually supposed to be, uh, I think, the USS Norfolk, yep. which was a series of these. Super heavy forty-four gun frigates that, like the the USS Constitution, the first of its class, was nicknamed Old Ironsides because the British ships literally couldn't penetrate. It was it was so mm-hmm. massively overbuilt that that cannon shot would bounce off its sides. Yeah, and they showed that in the movie. But they were worried with this historical piece. Like, if you literally are selling like the fact that like England's at war with America, and what 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 Americans think about that, I. Here's the thing. Like, I'm trying to figure the person that's unsophisticated enough to be offended at the idea that we were ones at war with Britain. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't think they make the French the bad guys. Like, I felt like there was a lot of, like, this isn't like a, a Wrath of Khan situation where the two captains hate each other. They, there's a lot of mutual respect. They're certainly the antagonists, but yeah. I mean, they're yeah, killing definitely. each other because they have to, but, but there's not. There's a, respect. Yeah, right. there, there, there's a respect there. Um and I, I, I don't, I don't know why they did that, but, but they shifted it back to 1805, but took the plot from the movie, which does a whole bunch of things to the chronology that doesn't make sense. Like, you know, Jack's talking about like when he was a teenager serving with Lord Nelson, but he's talking about something that was like just a couple years ago, not like 15 years ago. Huh. Okay. And also like, you know, like the idea that the the whole war hinges on this frigate sinking whalers yeah, yeah. Like that doesn't make i mean I, protect but I, that brazilian coast i guess r- right and i mean i get it like it's it's a lot of money like you know that one ship was twelve thousand pounds or whatever so like mm-hmm. there is economic da- damage done there but i think that was only a couple months before the the decisive battle of trafalgar um mm-hmm. where lord nelson died um so like literally that little small skirmish is 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 it's kind of like saving private ryan in the scope of World War Two, sure, yeah, like it means a lot Some to these people, victory, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, the the way they made it seem like it was just life and death, I thought was a little much. Yeah, I think the other like realities of being on a boat like that that I thought was interesting, especially when in that first scene where they're in heavy fog mm-hmm. um, and they, they've got their eye out, and I got the impression that it, they weren't just looking for other boats; they were also looking for obstacles, right, um, and and treacherous terrain right essentially um because when you think about it like you're on a boat you're uh-huh. moving pretty fast uh-huh. you can't turn this thing on a dime you no. can't stop it uh-uh. on a dime you can't stop it at all right uh well you can but it, it's hard <laughs> uh that's got to be a scary thing too is just right. moving this giant thing around even though the you know the sea is huge Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that you might not know about. And when they're off the coast, especially, like they, it shows all, it's yeah. such a great job of showing like all the technology they brought to bear. Like when they say 
they ask for a lead. Like literally it means they take a lead weight, um, they throw it down the side of the ship, and then how when it goes slack, that's how deep they are. But they also – there's so unbelievably clever things like that they would the, – the bottom of that thing was concave and they would smear lard on it. And then that would also – they would get they would tell you the depth and they'd say it's like sand and broken shell. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would give you a clue to like how close you are because they're you know they right. didn't have GPS they were essentially relying on their ship's chronometers which are these like precise timekeeping to mm-hmm. keep track of like how far they're going east to west I hope I got this right and then they're calculating how when the sun makes noon overhead to decide you know how um, you know, north south they are but it's all like approximate and if it's like yeah. they've been a couple of days of like cloudy weather. It's 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 called dead reckoning, where it's essentially the captain's best guess of where he thinks they are. So yeah, yeah that's that's uh... and they they do a lot of cool stuff with that. I think um, you know whenever they use the term like seamanship in this mm-hmm. movie, right? That's kind right. of what they're talking about is being able to use those tools to navigate the boat exactly where they want to be, and right. that's why I guess it's so impressive when he comes up right behind the right. Acheron. And there's a lot of stuff in the books where the O'Brien will talk about how. Jack's literally standing on deck, feeling the boat shift under him, feeling the four stays and how tight they are, and, the wind and, and, and doing just... all these trigonometric because he's, he's he's trained in like all these like math and geometry and doing all these calculations and intercept solutions in his head because that's what like you know um, it, it's like the it seemed like the more successful captains sweated the small stuff and they showed that like there's a scene where they're the men are preparing for battle and. Um, they're actually like chipping the rust off of the cannonballs because they want mm-hmm. to make them super smooth so they don't deviate in their flight path. Yeah, and like some captains wouldn't bother. And like the other thing is like they showed Jack whipping his men into like the, where they can do a broadside a minute apart. Like you know, the, and that was super expensive. Something they go in the books like like Jack spends a lot of his personal money buying gunpowder. Huh. Because the Navy, like a lot of captains, they call it dumb exercise where the guy, the men just simulate shooting, mm-hmm. but they don't, you know, that you can't get good at actually hitting a target. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not as good as actually firing the real thing and hitting a target. And that's why one of the reasons Jack ships are always so good is because he spends the time to make them into like a crack crew. Also, I imagine in a, in a mock, you know, uh, situation, you couldn't really, how do you, how do you get that recoil? Right. right. They make the it a point of, about, yeah like the recoil of the cannons being the thing that allows you to reload them. Right. Um, and how they'd only get one shot because they pulled the wheels off. And, right, right. Uh, I imagine a dummy fire situation, you couldn't really do that. Right. And it's like, the, you know, men would get uh, initially get hurt in these yeah. exercises because you're not ready for this 1,000-pound thing to jump back at you. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, with uh, all the Newton's laws in effect. Um, and there's also, like, when, like, if you fire them um, – it, when after like several hours or, or a long time of sustained cannon fire, the cannons get so hot that the metal would start to droop, and then the can they would actually start jumping oh, because then they would like you know because now they're paint, pointed down slightly force, down, yeah. and they and then they would get like sometimes they would fucking explode. Um, that's <sighs> the thing is like ship to ship combat was so fucking lethal and mm. bloody. Like they do a pretty good job of depicting it in yeah. the first. Uh, battle with the Acheron. It's yeah. like, yeah, there's nowhere to hide. No, like, that's the thing on a, this little ship where the cannonballs actually make it through the hole. Right, there's nowhere to hide. Right, you just get as flat as you can, 
maybe lay like head to toe toward their ship if possible yeah. and just hope it doesn't hit you. It's just dumb luck that these, and then these bowling balls are coming, you know, waist high across your deck at 600 miles an hour. <laughs> right. And when they hit wood, they just turn into That's these, the thing. Like there's just massive missiles and shit crashing down on the deck. And, and it's not even just that. It looked like a lot of people were just getting destroyed by the shrapnel right of the boat itself um the the cannonball hits it, it just just turns the hole into its own bit of shrapnel yeah and people are getting in the neck and the mm-hmm. legs and the arms mm-hmm. i it looked like um what's his face the the young kid who loses his arm mm-hmm. blakely might, yeah blakely might have lost his arm from shrapnel yeah yeah the splinters he got in there yeah and that's the thing like almost any potential wound was could be fatal yeah um and uh but that yeah and they the 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 sound design of this is like widely revered like if you got a nice 7.1 setup get the master and commander blu-ray and and enjoy because they actually got period accurate cannons and took uh actual recordings of them firing from like point blank range and from different yardage to simulate the set they fired chain shot they fired grape shot, and they got all those different sounds that they'd mix in there, and it's like just real. And they also blasted wooden targets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other, the other thing the sound design guy I thought was really interesting is he he made this rig out of wood that he bolted into the back of a pickup truck, uh-huh. and then he ran a thousand feet of cordage through it, and then he would drive down the highway at various speeds, like from thirty to seventy miles an hour, to get the the. Like, you know, a moderate breeze up to a typhoon shriek of, like, what it would sound like for the wind to be whipping through the wow. cordage. Yeah. And it just, I mean, it just, it's it, sound, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Like between I, the realism of the ocean and the sounds and the the costuming and it just it just utterly even though it's it's a weird in the his, historicity of its setup, like, mm-hmm. the actual encounters are extremely accurate. Yeah, they... I mean, so it did win an Oscar, I guess. It went up against Lord of the Rings, right. um, won a couple of Oscars, one for sound engineering. Mm-hmm. And cinematography um, is the other one, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so definitely I think it deserved it. Like, Lord of the Rings is great, don't get me wrong, but holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I sometimes wonder if this had been, like, if, he, if it won for Best Picture, Best Director, like, what kind of different legacy might it have had? And I actually think I like the visuals on this better than like the Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings was mm-hmm. around the time when you could still see the CG sure. on the screen. And this movie I think does such a good job at, at hiding it, you right. know, even though it's there, right. you can barely tell yeah. um, if at all. And, and most of the stuff is practical. Like again, yeah. all of the water effects are actual, they're, they're, they don't ever simulate the ocean. They take real footage and then they composite their models and they composite their mock-ups. And then they also just, most of the time where you just see them tooling around the ocean and it's like relatively calm and not bad, that's a real fucking ship yeah. that's that's sailing with an experienced crew that knows and that just, you, you can't fake it. Yeah. Um, I guess what it also made like a scale model yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of the ship. Yeah, oh, there's tons of, there's tons of fucking models of this thing. But they had a one-to-one... The, mm-hmm. They had a full size model, right? In a like a Titanic tank, whatever you and said. you can see yeah. it was the HMS Rose. Peter Weir bought it for this production, and huh. it's since been renamed HMS Surprise. And it's you can see it. It's still it's in it's it's I guess it sails a couple times a year for like you can it'll take you on board for big money. Yeah, um, but it's it's um, it's in yeah it's in a naval museum. I'm not sure which one in in uh, San Diego. So that's one of my bucket list things. Is I like to go. I want to go see. Uh, the the Constitution in Boston. I'd like to go see the Rose or the Surprise in San Diego, and I've I would love to go see um, 
shit, I can't remember Nel- the victory, the HMS victory that's that's over in uh, London. That's yeah. Nelson's flagship. Hundred hundred some gun, fucking crazy ass big 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 boat. Yeah, we don't really have stuff like this anymore, right? Especially I mean, since this experience is, yeah. uh, aside from like crab fishing, like right. the deadliest catch is about yeah, the closest yeah. thing I can think of to this. Right. Uh, but, you know, all modern warfare is done from afar. Right. Um, and there's nothing like on an aircraft carrier, a modern destroyer. There's, modern there's no storm that can really threaten a ship like that. Yeah, they're so huge. Right. They're, 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 they're made out of steel. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to float no <laughs> forget, matter what. Fuck your th- two foot of oak. I got two foot of, uh, two foot of steel. <laughs> right. Um, and they're, they're, they're made. I mean, there's certainly, you know, uh, Jack couldn't be obliterated from 500 nautical miles away without even seeing the enemy. Exactly, yeah. it's not exactly safe, but it's it's different. Like the the sea has largely been for for military and big commercial vessels uh, tamed. Yeah. Um. But uh, the other thing is like there's like stu- other stuff that surprises you, like the fact that like the men sleep in such close, cramped, uncomfortable quarters. The mm-hmm. fact that there's livestock aboard. Yeah, yeah, for food. Yeah, is my guess. Yeah, not, like not to eat the animals, but eat their products. Well, I mean, they they do both. Like they kind of ration yeah. it. Like, well, okay, at what point does the milk having fresh milk and eggs outweigh the fact that we haven't had protein, like like anything but shitty salt beef. Yeah. So, you know, the captain's going to have a big fancy dinner and they're going to butcher one of the lambs or one of the, the goats. Um, that and But but it's a really cool detail. And you don't think that, like, there's a fucking manger. Uh-huh. There's, like, all this firewood because they have to cook three meals a day for these dudes. There's unfathomable quantities of rum. Yeah. Because these guys drink, like, a fucking pint of rum a day mixed in with water and lemon ju- or lime juice yeah. uh, to keep them from getting scurvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the medical tech. I thought the medical tech was really um, on display. Now, the thing about the surprise is um, Stephen is an actual doctor. Like mm-hmm. he's a, a university educated doctor of his time. Um, most surgeons are more like like butchers, but it shows him doing an amputation. He trepans a guy uh, that, that had a depressed skull fracture. Um, but it's all and um, I don't that like the first time I saw that little kid getting his arm amputated i about fucking passed out in the theater <laughs> you were russell crowe yeah. yeah yeah and then the other thing is like and that's the other thing is like there's some things that you want to call unrealistic about this movie but like almost it all has actually happened somewhere sometime ah, like there has right. been doctors that have operated on themselves um it's unlikely mm-hmm. that all these badasses would be collected in this one moment of time yeah but you know it it it, it does happen hmm. uh so anyway yeah uh, I, what I I kind of want to talk about the main characters and then maybe oh uh, that know, the, one thing before we, we move on from the historical bric-a-brac mm-hmm. I know that you and I have both dispre- expressed disbelief at like young people in positions of command authority yeah yeah what did you, how did you think because this is a, a, from everything I can tell this is actually typical of the mm-hmm. ages of the, some of these midshipmen midshipmen and the roles they'd be given in in ship combat did you find it unrealistic or I guess not, and I don't know why I don't have the problem here. Um, maybe it's because it's just so convincing um, the way it's done. But yeah, I mean, Blakely seems to be pretty competent, mm-hmm. um, and he's very young. He must be what ten? I was thinking 11? twelve. Yeah. yeah, and like Calamy, the the next one older is like the fifteen or sixteen. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I I did not have a problem with it here because it but, seems. But like... he seemed to be very much under the 
tutelage of Russell right. Crowe, of like Jack he, Aubrey. Yeah, like when he assumes command, it's late in the film, and it's kind of like desperate circumstances. But yeah, it's like, then, we'll all be off the boat. If this right. fails, we lose the boat anyway, so go for it, kid. <laughs> and also a lot, a lot of these, because promotion was so dependent on, like, seniority, like a lot of, if, like, you were the a son of a captain or a nobleman, a lot of times they would get you on the ship, like, six or seven as a midshipman and then you so you've been learning the trade since by sort of by the time you're 12 or 13 you're ready to like start supervising watches and they kind of showed like that whole like there's like six and seven year old boys running powder from the magazines to the cannon uh-huh. and then there's like the midshipmen that are like super in like some of them are cowering on deck because they're shitting their pants as the first battle and then mm-hmm. some are like you know just on the cusp of lieutenant and you have the different lieutenants that you know the the senior one that's going to become a captain at the end uh, and I felt like yeah. that they, they, they did a good job of showing that and i you're right like it's different from lady mormon who is just all by herself you you didn't see her kind of like grow up or you don't see any of the proto she's just leading the house and she's speaking like this this queen um and for some reason that i don't i don't think it's the kids performance i think it's more like the world just suddenly throw that through that at you yeah i mean it, it's also partially i i think the kid doesn't have as much adult kind of you know, dialogue and mm-hmm. stuff like that to do. Really, he's he's he has a moment um, where he is a friend to uh, Paul Bettany, who Matron. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, when he's disappointed about not going to go to the island, right. give him the beetle. Um, he has that pretty adult moment, I thought. Um, and then he has an adult moment where he makes a choice when everyone's off the boat that they need right. help. Let's go do it. Right. Um, because they're going to blow us to smithereens. And he also so, dis- so he doesn't have like a lot of adult type stuff to do. Right. Um it's it's very sparsely thrown in which I thought was made it more believable than if he were up there commanding the fucking ship for right. half the movie. And also they fa- they, sh- they show how like the twin influences of Jack and Stephen have matured him and it's like yeah, yeah. you know him defending Hollem the 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 men that who the men saw as this cursed Jonah figure. Mm-hmm. Um like like and there's there's all this undercurrent of like what a commander does to inspire respect and and get the respect and admiration of his men and you can see like him following like all those things in little ways so mm-hmm. when he actually does assume command at the end it's it's not like this like what the fuck or it's not cloud it's just it just makes sense yeah anyway what were what were you gonna say um so a couple of other things I want to talk about and they're they're broad um. The narrative of the film, like the plot and and why it's effective and, you know, uh, what it does right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the main characters, because that's kind of a lot of what this plot hinges on. Right. Um, And where do you want to start? Do you want to go broadly with the plot or? Well, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, So I actually thought it was interesting not showing the POV of the other ship at all. Mm. Because there you could certainly make a case, I guess, for showing it, but... I think it what it did is it served to make it more mysterious. Um, there's this question, like, at the beginning of the movie, how did they find us? Mm-hmm. Um, it's damn near impossible in this ocean to find anything. Right. How'd they find us? Um, is, are, is there a spy in the ranks? Right. Um, and even then, how did they find us? Like, right. <laughs> we're a dot on this radar uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, blip. Uh, so... I, even after the movie's over, I don't think I have an answer to that question. But because it's so mysterious and it's kept that way through the whole movie, I don't think I needed one. But you also they, – they have such a mirrored relationship, this Captain and Jack. Yeah. Because they turn the tables on each other several times, of course. So when you see Jack 
up all night with his charts plotting and and looking at his time to the minute for when he's making the turns you can kind of imagine that the other guy doing that with jack that they're roughly yeah. equivalent comp but the other guy's got the better ship um and they, they show them like actually looking at each other across the deck <laughs> which i thought is so a couple cool. of times yeah like the cat you can see jack look at him with the telescope as he's looking at jack with the telescope yeah and, and there's it's like, the glint from the it's not con showing up on the main monitor and saying from <laughs> hell's hot hawk i spit at thee but it gives you a little right. bit of that yeah you so that's the interesting thing like you understand through jack what the other captain is thinking like you said right um and there's never any direct communication between right. them, which I love because you almost don't need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see what Jack, you see the lengths that Jack goes to to disguise this ship right, right. at the end. Um, and you're thinking, is that really necessary? Like, mm-hmm. how how far do you need to go for this ruse? But then you think about what Jack is observing mm-hmm. about the other ship, right? The number of guns, right. the thickness of the hull. He's got the fucking model of it that's right. going to help him understand how to defeat it, uh, what he's working against. And you think, okay, yeah, you you shouldn't just close up the portholes and hide the cannons. Right. Maybe you should repaint the ship. Maybe you should like get everybody in the right garb. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that goes into it that shows you that the other captain is smart, right. and the other captain knows to look for these things. Yeah, and the fact that like the, the they're really sweating the details. Like, hey, yeah. don't use military precision when you're adjusting the lines. Make it look yeah. like you're a little panicked and worried and. And uh, it's the little things. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. the books do a especially good job of showing that it's the captains that sweat the little details. It's those 1% to 2% advantages in combat that, that win the day. When yeah. you're talking about a ship with 28 guns, you know, like the ship that has a crack team that can fire all of those at peak efficiency is going to beat the one that is, you know, can, can only shoot uh, half broadside for every one of the others, you know. Mm-hmm. And you can make up superior numbers and... And the other thing is, like, it doesn't make the other captain look stupid because you could no. see Jack falling for the same thing because he's got similar appetites. He wants to make money. He wants yeah. to make a name for himself. He wants to help his country. Um, so it's like it's it's the it's the rare ruse that plays like you know it feels smart when the main character is executed. The other people don't look dumb. Right. It's like a a very high level chess match. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, as opposed to watching Kasparov destroy a, a ten-year-old who has never played. It's funny because some of the unreal, some so, some things I roll my eyes at because, like, the idea that um, Jack would only get this idea after Steven shows him a twig bug uh-huh. is kind of dumb because, like, you know, these these um, you know ruse de guerres or whatever the the, the these um, wait like. Flying false colors and disguising your ship is, is pretty routine, and mm. it's it's played on both sides. Like there's a lot of Indian mer- merchantmen that had no cannons that would paint gun ports on their side to make a guy like if you're. And instead thing, it's like it's not like utterly convincing. Like it's not going to hold up to close scrutiny. But yeah. if you're tr- if a guy's deciding whether he's going to attack you, and he's like, well, I got my hold half full, and I'm also running out of cordage and mass because I went through that storm. Fuck it, it ain't worth it. I'm gonna pass you. It's it's one of those things. You're not right. playing like absolute. It's all percentages. Mm-hmm. Which that percentage might also get you killed, yeah, right? If you're exactly. a whaling ship and you disguise yourself as a gunship, right? They might just open fire. Right, 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 and not try to take you a prize. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I thought they did really well um, is they hint to a lot of the things that are important in the book, like. Jack and Steven in the books are kind of equals because Jack mm-hmm. is like the master of the sea, but Steven's like the master of medicine and science. But he's also one of Britain's uh, most important spies. Oh. 
And he's okay. got this like, and you don't find this out. Like they hint in the first book or two, but it's it's, it's made explicit by like the third book that he's like this really high level spy that is using his. Um, real vocation as a physician uh, and a natural um, uh, nat- what do you call that? A, I think a it's naturalist? naturalist, yeah, a naturalist to some regard as cover, so he can go like because he can still during war go to Paris and as a scientist uh, address their academy and you know huh, make contacts okay. and stuff. Yeah. Um, so they have that hint where they're talking about spies. It's like, well, England has spies as well as France. The book reader's like, ooh, they're hitting towards Stephen's uh, secret career. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of stuff. Like, there's other, like, a lot of, like, really deep characterizations of Jack. Like, the fact that he's not very funny, but he really values wit. Like, and, in and because uh, they have these jokes where, you know, uh, the like the weevil joke. It's really dumb and pun, but, like, Jack and all the other <laughs> drunken officers love it, and Steven's like, Jesus Christ, these guys. Yeah. Um, and also, there's a couple of times where Jack's famous for, like, me getting things almost right, but kind of wrong. Like, he's like, well, don't count the eggs before we put them in the pudding. That was, like, a throwaway uh-huh. line that, like, is makes a book reader really happy. Huh. Because it's... I, I saw some negative reviews from Patrick O'Brien fans. Are like, well, they just don't get the relationship with Jack and Steven right. Well, well, how the fuck could they? They're trying to fit twenty books worth of shit. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, there's some. I mean, I'm gonna make a pitch for people to read the books here at the end of the review. Um, but like, there's some things that take five or six books to pay off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like, how in the hell can you possibly expect to get that in a two and a half hour movie? I went walked away being very impressed that they're able to get the essence of what makes the men like best friends, but also the things that divide them. Hmm. Uh, You know, Steven's much more of a libertine. He doesn't like the idea of, you know, man dominating man, but cap Jack's a ship captain that has to flog people every once in a while. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it shows, you know, that it sort of takes both kinds of people to get anything done. Right. Right. Um, a guy like Matron wouldn't be able to protect himself from the French captain. Right. Uh, he'd probably be sunk that first day. Right. He doesn't have the ingenuity and the, the, you know, the cunning and the, the, that kind of stuff that mm. Jack has. Um, but you know, Jack also doesn't have, I guess the, the naturalist view of things, right? right. It takes the naturalist to give him the stick bug idea to, right. to actually win the day. So, right. You know, they they need to come together. You need both types of people in order to make it work. And there's a couple of, like there's you know there's a there's a point in the the books where Stephen and Jack are taken prisoner at the beginning of the War of 1812, and mm-hmm. they're held in Boston. And Stephen's the one that like springs him out and gets him safe passage out of the country because he's a spy and he knows how to work those. And Jack's like kind of more or less helpless. He would have tried to punch his way out, yeah. right? <laughs> like you got you know you, this and you know Stephen's a deadly fellow himself. And there's like hmm. some it's just yeah I'll, I'll, I'll get to this later. But um, I liked I thought that they did more than what I was because I was not by the time I gotten to see the movie I was like four or five books in. I'm like I don't see how in the hell mm-hmm. like I, I was expecting just kind of like a greatest hits action adventure. And I was actually impressed by how much they nailed the relationship, not just between Jack and Stephen, but like Jack and his officers and the unique mm-hmm. quality that Jack has where he can be friend he can be friendly with the men like like that but the, not that, friends. Yeah, like yeah. that Picard thing. Right. Where like the the men love him clearly but he doesn't ever like you, you know, I, I, he doesn't play poker with him. And yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's exactly. the that's, distance I'll he's let, keeping. I'll let Riker do that. Yeah, Riker's the guy that they can think of as a buddy and cry on his uh-huh. shoulder. I'm the one that like you don't take that shit to me. 
Um, so I, th- I thought they, they they nailed that and the relationship between like how fucking superstitious sailor, sailors were at the time. Yeah, like that Jonah shit's a real thing to them. And even the captain, uh, yeah. Which I hashtag not my hero because like I'm not I'm not on board with that captain. There's well, no curses, but I, I do yeah, think it's it more like he's. He, I don't think he really believes it. But hmm. one of the things about Jack's past is that he got in trouble as a midshipman. Uh, by he snuck a he was like thirteen years old and he snuck a girl on board, mm-hmm. uh, and the captain flogged him and then disrated dis- dis- him, which made him a force. So he got to spend time with the common men, mm-hmm. and he learned that the way they think about things. And like he, it's, oh, I think that statement Stephen's like, oh my god, you believe this shit too, and it's more like. I don't necessarily believe it. I might believe a little bit because I'm a sailor and some of this shit's just in our bones, but uh-huh. also like the men believe it. Right. And you're not going to, you're not going to convince these men who can't read and write. Yeah. And there's a shit ton more of them than us that they're, you know, you can't like just the be... ship believes it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's not about him at that moment. And they also, they did, there's a couple deleted scenes that I watched this morning. Um, they do a great job of showing why that is like the men are in the South Pacific for the first time. And there's humpback whales singing. Huh? But, Echoing through this wooden ship, the men just like Jesus Christ! What fucking seagull <laughs> lives in the Pacific that would cause this? And like Jack gives them permission to sleep with the lights on because they're just like kind of scared little kids. But it makes sense because they don't know what the fuck yeah. a, a whale would sound like. Um, yeah, and like they don't know why. Sometimes you can go like twenty days, thirty days with that wind, but it's a deadly situation. Mm-hmm. They did. That's another great thing they did. Like the, when they showed the surprise. In the middle of all this water, it's flat. There's glass, for, and there's no wind at all, and there's no rain, and they have a finite supply of food and water. Yeah. And that shit gets scary. And sometimes a lot of mutinies were just like the captain, like, look, <laughs> this is I'm doing the best I can. And men are like, well, you're a fucking Jonah or whatever. And then yeah. that, that, that's, that's what happens. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I like the friendship between the, the two characters, even though, like you said, they are very different. Um, they do have some similarities, and I think – the the movie does a good job of showing in that sort of like muted, very masculine, very like mm-hmm. um, military style uh, way that it has uh, of showing the relationship and the friendship and the caring that these right. two have for each other. Right. Like they're both. So Jack, Jack is clearly going the Ahab route right. uh, <laughs> for a little while in this uh-huh. movie. And Steven tries to talk to him and say, look, this is what's happening. Your pride is getting in the way. Uh, Jack doesn't actually acknowledge it right there and then during that conversation, but later on he does, right? He mm-hmm. he understands, okay, maybe you're right about this, and he, you know, it takes Stephen getting shot in the gut and potentially being about to die right? Um, with this terrible doctor trying to perform surgery on a <laughs> moving ship. Uh-huh. Um, so, so he does eventually take him back to Galapagos, and then Stephen makes the same sacrifice for Jack, right? He sees this boat coming in. He's like, now's the chance. If I don't tell him about this, A, it might cause us all to die. B, this is what he wants. Right. Um, it might so cost a friendship. Yeah. So let me give him that opportunity and sacrifice the thing that I've come here for. Right. And then at the end, they seem to have come together on it, right? right. Like, Stephen knows, okay, we got to go after this ship. It's a perfect right. opportunity. Um, it, well, not even it's a perfect opportunity, but we need to There's some, do something about foot. this captain yeah, yeah. Uh, who disguised himself as a doctor. And, and 
Jack is like, well, we'll get back to Galapagos. I right. Essentially promise, making him an, an unspoken promise there, right. which I thought was really cool. I liked. Yeah, it's it's. I, I did like, and I was, I was hoping you picked that up because I think that's one of the main narrative things in the movie is the fact that there's this symmetry between the sacrifice. Like Jack says, yeah. I will grind whatever grist is required. And he, you see him. There's like a couple like uh, spot going into reactor room moments where men die for the good of the ship. But yeah. when it comes to Steven, yeah. he just can't do it. Like, and the, and they don't spell that out. It's 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 like two minutes worth of you know Russell Crowe walking around the ship and like starting to chase after Acheron and Steven like waning and and then you see him yeah, walking. You, you could have had the Mufasa moment, right? Where right. He, like Steven's words echo in his head: "Pride's getting in your way" or whatever. Right. That's right. about pride, and he could have turned around, but. They didn't. They yeah. were more classy than that, which I like. Yeah, but they had the fact that they're both willing to sacrifice things that are important to them for the other's mm. health or happiness, I thought is... First, I mean, I don't know how to how the men take it. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, what's his face gets uh, we hack we 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 hack his wreckage off the gunnel and he dies in this horrific storm. Which <laughs> I always think when I see that, like, what must that be like? Oh man, the poor guy knows how to swim, so he's not going to die instantly. But he's in the middle of this fucking wet hell. Yeah, and and even if he can survive the storm, like yeah. grab onto the the mast or something, and yeah. Float there for a while. He's still dead. He's yeah. in the middle of nowhere. You can't swim the shore from no. there. You're fucked. No, you're, you're fucked. done. Yeah, that's that's no good. I'd rather grab a cannonball and go under. Yeah, I saw the that's the other interesting thing is a most sail is unusual sailors to learn how to swim for that reason, because they thought if they ever huh. got in battle or whatever swept off, I'd rather just fucking drown than have my death agonies prolonged any any longer than necessary. Yeah. Okay. I can um, see it. But again, they're like I say. That's not I, I, to me. I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for my life to the last breath. But I, you know, <laughs> I, that's the other thing is like people thought differently back then. Yeah, like there's a very like that also doesn't seem fake. That in a lot of ships, men, even though they were pressed from their homes, all this, they were like eager to get in the battle because mm-hmm. it was number one fun and mm-hmm. number two potentially profitable because these sailors could make a lifetime's worth of pay in an afternoon's work if they're you know, if they're able to capture this this vessel and it's la- like this, the you know they have twelve thousand pounds worth of prime sperm whale oil on board, um, like that that could set a man up for for life. Yeah. So they were like, you know, between patriotism, the belief that heaven awaited them if they were vict- valorous and and in combat and, yeah. and money, like they like it's 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 so weird. There wasn't a lot of. Um, I don't know. I, I'm trying to put my like a, in in a modern war pick. There would be a lot more. I think like people cowering or you know mm-hmm. like the 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 Upham character. Yeah. And Saving Private Ryan. There's not much of that. I mean, Hollum's yeah. the closest. He's just he just he he was a good sailor, a terrible commander, mm-hmm. and he's he's in a situation where he won't he he'd probably be happy as a midshipman forever. But that's just not how the Navy wants you to be. Yeah. No. That that's interesting because there's. You know, right after that scene, there's um, Russell Crowe delivering a speech about how, you know, he wouldn't have become the man he thought he wanted to be or right. something. Not and everyone so, gets to become the man they, they want to be. Yeah. And and, and I got a very, like, it, retrospectively, I got a very, like, Klingon vibe from this guy. Like, mm-hmm. if, if I can't be the honorable person I wanted to be and, and it just doesn't work out exactly how I want it for me, I'm right. going to just, that's it. I'm done. 
Plus, instead of like living with a little bit of disappointment in your right. life, like do that, man. Well, there was like once to, I, I thought they also showed the almost like stain or the the Stephen King Stanley Kubrick psychological terror of like the whole ship turning against you. Oh yeah, you know, like when he, he gets the man get flat gets flogged, and then like he goes below deck to get a drink, and they're all like kind of like menacingly saluting him, and yeah, he, yeah it's, it's to a point where. Um, I feel like that he started to believe in he was a Jonah himself. And that was the irony of, like, yeah. there's a couple of really funny scenes, too, because the relationship between Killick, um, the captain steward and the captain, like, the, the, the this this um, this Killick guy is so good at making coffee, essentially, mm. and, mm. and selecting wine um, and making breakfast that the captain will forgive him almost any bad attitude that he and he gets like more as he gets fucking surly over the course and they give a little bit of that but Uh like when 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 jack's trying to open up this church service and he slides in the bible cross and it's to jonah chapter one Uh and like the the look that he gives killick as he shuts the bible it's like that's that's really good yeah but they also can make the solid point about like what these you know 19th century ideals of masculinity and and command were and there's also just the idea that Okay, maybe maybe this guy can, you know, make it to shore and mm-hmm. and live a different life. You know, right. okay, he's not cut out for this, but maybe he can do something else. Well, guess what? You're out there. The what, the, the thing they don't say is how long they're out there. They uh-huh. hint at it throughout uh-huh. the the course of this movie, but I get the impression this movie takes place over a couple of years. Maybe not. Certainly, like, like a half a year, maybe. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't think years because they also like they. That they mentioned that they can go 250, 300 miles a day. Like, they're surprisingly fast. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah, that is. Um, so, no, it, but but they are on really super long voyages. But yeah. your point is, like, what is the prospect when, if this guy goes to London and he's 30-year-old midshipman? Can he just go get another job? Can he go to the, you know, to the, the East India Tea Company to get, like, a – I mean, I don't, I don't know. Because it's the thing yeah. is, like – you know, back when the class system is in its full string, it's it's it was it was tough as a as a poor person to to make it. Still is, yeah, as, still is. You know. But like back back then, if you were in debt, they'd throw you in prison. Oh well, yeah. I mean, they're starting to come bring that back That's, stealth mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. But you know, it's like you go to debtor's prison and like, well, when do I get out? When well, you can pay your debts? Well, how much how money am I, I making money? here? N- negative. Yeah. And in fact, you're going to you slowly deteriorate in health. And social status, and right. it's like you're just fucked. So all yeah. that is is into that like character, like kind of baked into that character. And yeah, because I've seen this movie like twenty times, and I've read the books. Like I'm on my second voyage through the books, and like you keep on. This is kind of a Godfathering thing where you get a kind of a sense of the movie, but as you watch it again and mm-hmm. again, you get to you like you now start to really appreciate the finer points of it. Yeah, and there's still things that like. I pick out for the, for that uh, I hadn't noticed before, even on this 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 watch. Was like, there something like that? Yeah, like um, I mean, I guess I've seen it a bunch of times, but like I hear like you hear the term like hull up or hull down when a guy is spotting a ship, and they actually show the Acheron hull down on the horizon, where due to the curvature of the Earth, you just see the tops of its mast, like it's emerging from the sea. Huh. And that's not something you, you is, that's not something you think about, but and that's also proves the lie. Like you know, a lot of people to this day think that like no one knew their the world was round. Yeah, 
until like Christopher Columbus fucking sailed to America. That's bullshit. Yeah. Like as long as we've had mariners, people have known that the earth is round because of that shit. Like, oh, I can see the top part of this ship when it's coming to me before I see the bottom. But I just noticed that they showed that in a telescope shot. I'm like, huh, fuck. I've nice. I've never seen that for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really it was a really cool cool moment of verisimilitude or whatever they call it. It's interesting that you mention Bettany or what's what's his name? Matron. Matron Stephen Matron. Yeah. Uh, that he is a spy in the books because they they don't include that mm-hmm. here in the movie. They make some passing reference to oh maybe there are spies in the ranks. Right. Um, but they don't say that he's a spy. And I very much got the impression that he was almost like suckered in by a good navy recruiter speech <laughs> like oh see the world they said right, uh, yeah. do- document new species they said no no you're not doing any of that uh it, it was it was surprising to me how much he felt like almost a captive in at places on this boat mm-hmm. or and at that, times and that is a little bit of the relationship i don't say that the jack tricked him into it but that, that's a tension the fact that like steven at his heart is a scientist and a doctor and the only reason he's in his war at all is because, like, because Stephen sees the world in shades of gray. Like, all forms of government are tyranny. Mm-hmm. But this Napoleon guy is especially bad because of, like, I, I, I haven't gotten to the, the, the background of why, um, you know, he, I guess it's because Napoleon was, like, like Stephen was all about the revolution. Um, and even though he thought it was, like, horrific and the way it went down, that, like, you know, well, the people are governing. And then, then Napoleon came up and declared himself emperor. So he's, like, stealing. One of the torches of liberty from the world, so like that made him Stephen's personal enemy. Hmm. Um, I forget where I was going with that, um, but yeah, he. There's a lot of times where Stephen's you know goals as a, as a naturalist are thwarted by the navy, just like always hustling here and there. As soon as you get intelligence, you, yeah. you if the tide is with you, then you sail. It doesn't 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 matter. Um, mm-hmm. You know what kind of awesome bat or mongoose is on shore that you want to look at <laughs> right and speaking of that oh my god this kid's drawings were cracking me up the whole right, time right like the, really that's your fucking turtle kid <laughs> you've got your crayons out and you're drawing uh-huh. your stupid turtles uh-huh. uh Cracking me up the whole time. I you got, loved you it. You got to start somewhere. I yeah, actually, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> glad that he wasn't doing a perfectly cross-hatched, right. like, wood carving of a beetle. Uh-huh. But uh, that it was, I thought it was pretty sweet. Um, it was. And it also showed, like, they don't really have a character like that in the books that's kind of like the joint son or or or, yeah. or, or child of, of both Steven and, and Jack, where mm-hmm. they're kind of like... And then I guess that was a pretty smart move because it kind of allowed them to do – he allowed that kid to do a lot of heavy relationship but or heavy lifting for the relationship between Jack and Steven because even when they're on the outs, um, you know, he was like kind of the peacemaker between them. Yeah, I feel like they're they're breeding like the uh, Kirk, right? Yeah. A guy who's a little bit of both yeah. sides of – or. Yeah, maybe Picard's a better analogy here, right? Because Kirk is a little more fight, or a little more Jack, or 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 like I think they're directly trying to suggest that this is like you know this is how a person like Lord Nelson, who was famous for being able to motivate people, like Mm -hmm. you know just just extreme examples of like how this guy was able to motivate his men to do crazy dangerous things and, and come out victorious, and some of that is just like. Uh, you know, like Jack's name is Lucky Jack. Some of this is like you just start a beneficiary of a run of good luck. 
that you didn't really deserve, but the men believe it. Like the men believe that you can be successful in any battle because you always have been. Mm-hmm. And some of that's some of that is just kind of doodah luck. Um, <laughs> but but I, I I like the fact that they they address that, and in the books they also address like what happens when that luck runs out. Oh, okay. you know, because nobody can be successful and and uh, and win every possible engagement, and yeah, you know, when you've had your life like kind of been like charmed from the time you were a lieutenant and a young master and commander, uh, what do you do when that when you when you when you get your first taste of adversity, both personal and career wise? Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff is, is is fascinating. I do have a question about the end of this movie, uh-huh. where they realize, oh shit, the French captain. Mm-hmm. pretended to be the doctor and we put him on this ship bound for the shore right. with, with uh, only a lieutenant and a couple marines to provide security is that the problem i think is that, so uh, my question is like isn't he still a prisoner and isn't he still going to like suffer the same fate that the captain would have or do they like execute captains or no something? they don't do that but so they're like i think the idea is by posing as the doctor a lot of times they would allow the opposing surgeon to assist because, like, you know, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. like a, a mercy, a care thing. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. we all have wounded here. We need everybody to to, to – because cause it's a crapshoot. Like, fixing people up is like sometimes a guy with a scratch would fucking die and sometimes a guy who got his fucking brains half blown out would live. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's all – essentially all Stephen could do is patch you up and hope that you and, – and treat your pain because they gave him this – you hear him refer to laudanum. Which is essentially half brandy, half half opium. Okay. Uh, nice. uh, that you could you could keep them comfortable and and be as clean as you can, but you know it's it's all relative. Like you know, Stephen, they show that he's not washing his hands between like this this. There's this guy beating a quarter or a a, a pound yeah. sterling into a skull cap that that he just takes from his grimy fingers and bolts it right to the guy's skull because uh-huh. they don't understand things about it. like like I like that about about Patrick O'Brien too is that he doesn't make. Stephen superhuman right right like he's For he's the like time. the peak the peak woke doctor of his period yeah but he still like you know suffers from a lot of uh you know he doesn't he just they don't understand all the science behind it yet he yeah, approaches he, it scientifically but he doesn't know at all no he kind of struck me as you know i i think there's some very obvious uh parallels being drawn here as the charles darwin type right like he still has the beliefs in god yeah he, he doesn't think like Oh, God, there's no such thing as God, and right. I'm going out to I'm, prove I'm it. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to no. prove God wrong. Right? He says, "Oh yeah, certainly God had something to do with it, but also did they have something to do with it? Right? You know, as far as like changing themselves." And then, in him landing on the Galapagos approximately 25 years before Darwin, right. it's it's a fun like what if, like what if yeah. you know, it allows <laughs> you to imagine like oh maybe Steve, like it's an alternate, slight alternate history where he uh-huh. writes the book on the origin of species instead of uh, instead of Darwin. Yeah. Uh, which that's the other thing is like my god this is the first movie that got permission to film in the galapagos islands right that's not to say there's not been feel like documentary films mm-hmm. but like them being able to some of the most beautiful shots in the whole movie are the surprise is kind of gliding between the islands and the 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 land like it's when you see the landscape of the galapagos you understand why like it was such an evolutionary hotbed because mm-hmm. there's every type of terrain just stacked on top of each other and all these weird ass birds and iguanas of, uh, inhabiting these really unique niches that had all this weird selective pressure put on it. Um, and also just the fact that, like, that you never see that. Like, 
you know, the, the the doctor comes and he's using his telescope. He's like, my God, two two new species in as many minutes. Yeah. You can't do that nowadays. No. There was like literally <laughs> things to discover uh-huh. in the world, which makes it that, – that gives it that Star Trek feel. Yeah, and it's it's why I feel just so sad for the doctor when they have to leave. You know, he doesn't get permission to just take his stroll across the island. Right. Uh, I feel really, really bad for him in that moment because that's all he wants. Yeah, when you see there's like a real pain when you see Steven look behind him and there's all of his cages that he had painstakingly assembled these specimens. Yeah. Uh, and what a – that thing is like it really gives weight to like the wealth of science that he's going behind to pursue this, you know, yeah. belligerent expedition as he calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's great. It's great. It is. Do you think Matron ever gets to explore the Galapagos? I, I don't know if you've come across the the finality of this part of his story. Well, so books, that's the thing. But... Like, um, uh, they did so much remixing of the okay. different of the different scenes. I can't remember, uh, but he has like. I mean, that's that's a big part of the novels. Like um, mm-hmm. Stevens' scientific explorations. Yeah, like there's a he gets an adventure with like this crude diving bell. Like he explores like a a large part of the Amazon for the first time, and he's always bringing strange creatures that are freaking jacking his men out. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I love him. Like there's a especially memorable point where he finds a sloth in Brazil, and the hands because the sloth would just sleep up in the rigging, and the men fucking loved it and thought he was a a, you know just 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 adorable thing. But then sometimes he'll try to bring a vampire bat on board. Oh no. No. Or, like, it's not even a vampire. It's because like, it's, it's probably as big as, as probably like, a fruit bat. But the men uh-huh. like, no fucking way are you bringing a demon on board. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's the devil. That's literally the devil. Um, Speaking what, of, of sloths in the rigging, uh-huh. some of these people climbing around in this rigging, like, I can't believe how incredibly dangerous it must yeah. have been to do this stuff. Yeah. Even just to operate the boat, right? Yeah. Like, pfft. Some of those guys are just climbing around in their bare feet on ropes and sitting on the top of the mast, shouting mm-hmm. down to the crew. Yeah, it it blew my mind. And to then see doing that. that in seventy mile an hour winds, right, with sixteen foot waves or whatever. Yeah, you know it. It is it is crazy. Yeah, and um, I mean, yeah, I just this just how dangerous that profession was back then. Yep, um, I think is is intriguing. But also just, like, how kind of, like, mundane it was, too. Because, like, in between these things, they'd have these, you know, they'd just fucking get drunk and tell stories. and Yeah. Um, Swing in their hammocks. Yeah, and or dance. Like, the men would dance right. and sing on the deck because it's, you know, a lot cooler there. And it was – it's so fun. It's amazing to me in the 21st century with the internet and video games and golden age of television and Master and Commander and Blu-ray – that people derive pleasure from clapping their hands, singing sea shanties, and dancing on the capstan. You know, uh-huh. like oh look at look at Nagel go, he's up there and he's kicking up his jig. Whoa, boy! <laughs> you know, and some of the deleted scenes that show they, got. they yeah. show them racing goats, like they put like a flag of England around one and a flag of France, uh-huh. and they bet and do stupid shit, and they're tattooing each other. And huh. but um, yeah, just of being cooped up in that very small boat. For months on end, eating shit food yeah. in utterly dangerous conditions, and some of them loved it. And you know, swinging around in the rigging, being completely drunk too—that's yeah. the other thing that you—they're—they're they're all they're all drinking remember, a pint of rum a day. Yes, almost yeah. all the time. They're baseline. They're like they're baseline madmen, except for they're hundred foot in the air. Yeah, <laughs> seventy mile an hour wind. Crazy. I'm really looking forward to uh, Sea of Thieves, the game. Yes, because um, this this has got me uh, with some renewed interest in that game yeah it's 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 like it's, it's just a type like that's the thing about modern games and simulators they're just you know you're playing like falcon 
and you're firing for getting missiles from a hundred away. It's it's not yeah. the same as like when you could do all these maneuvers and fake out people and you know get these small advantages and positioning and 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 seamanship and gunnery. I'm I'm excited to. I hope I hope it captures all that. Yeah, I think you're gonna have to be the crew captain because uh, <laughs> I suck at it. Maybe, um, but you'll at least know better than anyone else how to do it. Depends on that's other things. Like I wonder like how gamey they'll make it. Like because I yeah. I really like. Um, Shit, what's the guy's name? Uh, Sid Meier's Pirates. Because mm-hmm. um, I thought that's, like, really tactical, but you only have, like, you can essentially rig your sails, like, battle or full. Yeah. Or you can, like, do three different trim sails and control which way your boat points, and that's mm-hmm. it. You know, and if that's the case, like... Uh, I think it'll be pretty gamey, but the, the cooperation is the thing yeah, 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 I'm yeah. excited about. Yeah, yeah, um, all right. What else is, do we want to talk about? That's all I've got, which okay. is why I pivoted to Sea of Thieves. <laughs> all right. Um, I want to make a pitch on reading the books. Um, okay. Because these are like my favorite books series of all time. But I also, it's one of those things where I don't think they're for everyone. Hmm. Um, because it's just, it, like, if you didn't like this movie, then fucking keep moving. Because yeah. I don't think you'll like the books. Because the books are very very well represented in the movies um or in the in the movie but i guess the pitch on it is like it's just such a realistic depiction of the life and the world and these characters are are so good and there's so many touching things that that um I, i'm trying to is like I'm tr- i don't want to spoil a lot but i want to like talk about the, like the rare payoffs like for example in the in the third book there's this he he's got this really dry sense of humor. He's got this joke that he sets up with this sloth that is like a hundred pages of buildup mm-hmm. of like Stephen bringing the sloth on board and the men loving the sloth. But for whatever reason, every time the sloth sees Jack, he hides his face in Stephen's chest and balls. <laughs> and like it's like Jack may and, and that bothers Jack because Jack's this friendly gregarious guy and it really bothers him when people don't like him because he's like everyone likes me. What the fuck is wrong? Uh-huh. So he can he starts feeding this sloth. Um, bits of biscuit soaked in rum and progressively oh, no. gets the sloth like fucking drunk and there's like this climax where Steven <laughs> finds out that he's debauched this sloth and they have this giant fight that like I had to put the book down and wipe tears out of my eyes because it was a hundred pages of build up for this stupid drunken sloth joke <laughs> and then there's this also this Moriarty um, mm. uh, uh, like, like Sherlock Holmes battle between Stephen Matron this intelligence agents and a very highly placed spy in the command center of the Navy hmm. um, that lasts like 10 books. And it kind of climaxes because this guy's like working for Jack's downfall and it climaxes in the 11th book. And the end of that is like one of the most moving like depictions of like brotherhood and fraternity I've ever seen. And then Steven's eventual when he discovers this guy's identity and his eventual revenge, mm-hmm. like he uses every bit of his political and espionage skill to break this guy, <laughs> have him killed in some third world country, and then fucking buys his body and dissects him. <laughs> like, that's some wow. cold shit. You don't see... Sherlock Holmes didn't beat Moriarty no. and then fucking dissect him no. for some kind of medical textbook. Avon Barksdale didn't even do that shit. <laughs> yeah, like, it's some cold... It's some ice, and, like, you're like, you're like holy shit, don't fuck with Steven. Yeah. And that's the other thing, is you... He um like they show a little bit of that in the movie too like Steven's actually an expert swordsman and duelist yeah yeah I was surprised by they that they just bust that out you wouldn't expect that from him but like it's it's one of the quiet pleasures of the book is anytime someone calls Steven out 
in a duel, it's like, oh, this guy's going to get fucked up. Yeah. It's Sword like, pistol doesn't matter. It's like the nerd who's been practicing jujitsu for 30 years, right? Right. You see him, oh, he's, look at this nerd. Right. Right. You start picking on him, he tears your arms off. Exactly. Or he's like the like the elderly Asian man with the right. flowing, long, yep. white hair. And he's just like, no, he's going to give you the five, five palm monkey <laughs> heart exploding technique and yep. you're going to die. Um, but it's, I, it's just this, it's, I, I've never seen anything like it. That's realistic. And it's, there's also a lot more, um, it's not a surprising amount of female friends because, hmm. uh, like the relation, like the second book they say is Patrick O'Brien's like love letter to a Jane Austen. Okay. It's, it's very sense and sensibility, pride and prejudice because it's all about Stephen and Jack courting these, these women and their relationship. And that, that becomes their families become an important part of the books. Um, as the series goes on, it's. It's interesting because their character development is much slower because, like, Jack and Steve will be at sea for 18 months. Right. And then it's like, oh, look at the kids grown, and here's what's going on with the wife and household. And But there's, like, a lot of um, a lot of pathos is generated between those characters. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's just a very realistic per- depiction of, like, several dozen characters that you really get to care about over the course of 20 books. Um hmm. And then it ends in, like, Patrick O'Brien literally dies in the middle of writing the 21st book. And Brandon Sanderson takes over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I actually, um, the 21st book is called 21, and I've said this before, but, like, it starts off, like, three or four chapters of actually typed out manuscript. And then there's like a chapter and a half of, like, his handwritten notes that they Uh photocopied. And then it devolves into a picture, like... I guess Patrick O'Brien would to set up scenes. He would like draw a dinner table and like show where all the characters were sitting. And then there's like sketches of a battle that was going to happen later in the book. And it just like ends in the middle of the adventure, which felt, I always felt, felt right to me. It's kind of like, these are the continuing and it's just going to end in the middle. And Jack and Steve yeah. are always going to be sailing. It never is going to come to an end. Yeah. But also he, you got 20, 20 and a half books out of him. What more did you want? So that, that's a published book. Yeah, it's called it's, called, is it's called Twenty One: The Unfinished Voyages of of wow. uh, Aubrey and Maturin. Yeah, I um, guess it is very much like you know the, their continuing mission to yeah. pull the go. Yeah, it's weird because the the twentieth book kind of like is a good stopping point too. Right, but he just yeah. apparently he felt motivated to write one more tale or two, and he just died in the middle of it. So what are you going to do? He's an old man. Yeah. Um, the other thing is interesting about Patrick O'Brien is that. Um, like I've recently come to learn that he's kind of a shit person. He was terrible to his first wife and his his children. Um, hmm. like you know, like like just just a terrible human being, an unlikable, bitter, you know, indecent man. And it's so interesting that a person like that can write about love and like duty and courage and brotherhood in a way that's so inspiring, but his mm-hmm. personal example is just like, there's nothing even close to it. Yeah. I, I mean, that's very, that it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's interesting to sh- uh, like, you know, the, the classic, can you enjoy an artist's art if he's right. like a terrible human being? And I don't think like, I don't think like Patrick O'Brien raped anybody or killed anybody, but mm-hmm. he's just an asshole. Yeah. I mean, some people write about, you know, write the idealized version of what they think, you know, these, these things are versus the reality of of love and the reality yeah. of you know being a good father and husband and whatnot. Like, right? I, I'm sure they're very different, right? Like what you see on the screen, what you read in books is fictionalized and it's right. fantastic, and it's 
you know, idealized in a lot of ways. It's the person so, he wanted to be, but maybe just yeah. couldn't because of whatever demons he faced. Yeah, because it's much harder to actually be that yeah. than to write about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a, a fair number of authors are kind of like that. All right. Because he's also, like, there's other things, like, um, you know, Patrick O'Brien would be very liberal by, uh, hmm. you know, 1805 standards. Oh, and God, you can, I would hope so. <laughs> and you can see a little bit of that in, like, Jack and Stephen. Like, they're more fair. They're probably, um, I don't think they're, like, anachronistically fair-minded. Mm-hmm. But in many circumstances, they're amongst the most, like, you know, when it when it deals to, like, uh, you know, sometimes... Um, Patrick O'Brien rightfully so gets on his moral high horse when you're talking about like the American slave trade. Um, in fact, yeah. you know, like slavery had been outlawed in Britain for a long time, and like black and whites in the Royal Navy were fair, wasn't a wasn't a lot of like racism in the Navy mm-hmm. um, because they're integrated and they're um, yeah. Was, you do see a couple of black people in this yeah, movie, but yeah. just a couple. Right. There wasn't a lot of, I guess, discrimination amongst the men um, mm. about that. And there's a couple other um, – there's some funny things like uh, they're in the South Pacific and they get Steve, – Stephen and Jack get shipwrecked and they get picked up by uh, like a ship full like, – like you don't understand because they're all speaking in a, um, a different language. But it's essentially some Polynesian women who got sick of their men, killed them all, and then took to the sea in the ship. It's oh, just boy. women. And then they find these two ship shipwrecked white men and just uh-huh. put them through hell. I bet. Uh, and it's like just leads to a scene where they're about. I I I think that they're about to cut Stephen and and Jack's dick off. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, I I forget how he he uses a little linguistic trick to like bamboozle them somehow and 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 avoid that fate. But hmm. yeah, pretty 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 funny. Sounds cool. Uh, but yeah, I if you're if you're at all curious, I think you know if you read the first book. Uh, and you like it, but you're just concerned about how heavy going to see stuff is, I would say keep reading. If you're through the first book and you're like, I don't, I don't get it all, then you can stop. And if you didn't like the movie, then fuck it. You're not, you're not going to like the books. Um, but they're, they're my fail. In fact, my son, uh, his, his first and middle name is Jack Aubrey. Right. Um, cause I, I feel like I'm much more like Steven Matron, but I want to be more like Jack. That's why it's a little aspirational. It turns out my, my son's also a Steven. Uh, well, you need to find a, a Jack Aubrey to pair up with and teach yeah. your son to be like the there ultimate you, synthesis. There you go. I don't know how many of how many Russell Crowe Jack Aubreys are there. Uh, Maybe you can just ask Russell Crowe. Yeah, to help help tutor your child. Come, come fight fight around the world to Cincinnati right. and spend a couple summers over here. Russell Crowe's uh, Seamanship Academy. I have a feeling Russell Crowe is not a great role model. Russell Crowe the man. Yeah. Russell Crowe the characters maybe. Um, the other thing I, I want to end on is like a lot when when people ask me what HBO should adapt into some kind of series or what mm. what I'd most like to see, I either say the Dresden Files, but my but I really think that you could make a five or six epic season run with a with a Game of Thrones ish budget with with the right cast and crew, and it's a damn shame because other than Billy Boyd is. Um, uh, as, as the as the Catherine's Cox and Bonden, I thought that everyone was cast like impeccably, um, and the only reason I like that is because um, the book Bonden is a much bigger strapping uh, badass than I associate with a fucking Hobbit. Um, <laughs> okay, I'd, like he's just like that's this that, that's just kind of stunt casting. But you'd have to cast it right. You have to get the person that's a, that's that that like would would bring the historical accuracy to it and like to respect the, the material like Peter Weir obviously did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, because Peter Weir, like, you do you do you do you know his filmography much? No. Um, he. So I'm gonna go in order of uh, I least likely for you to recognize the most likely, the last wave that might ring a bell because it got that, oh that's the yeah the australian outback film right? that had the david gilpilly yeah yeah the aboriginal yeah. guy um uh-huh. that was a lot of inspiration for some of season two season three's uh the leftovers action mm-hmm. mosquito coast okay i've heard of it that's a harrison ford it. vehicle then witness Wait, which was the amish amish one? that's not the one with uh river yes. phoenix yes, okay i've is. seen that one then yep yeah uh witness uh dead poet society i haven't seen that the truman show sure Peter, so he's he's pretty good, and like some of these things, like the Truman Show, he he's got his talent of like this really constrained storytelling. Yeah, you know, because like 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 this uh, Master and Commander, like this all takes place on a fucking tiny boat, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. Truman Show takes place in this enclosed dome, um, and yet like it's it's a fully realized world. Yeah. Um. So I also wanted to. Stephen S had a little bit of feedback that I want to get to. Okay. Uh, says Master Commander is close to my heart. I grew up boating and going fishing around South Florida. When I was younger, my father and I would go fishing offshore anywhere from 10 to 40 miles. Being out in the open ocean in search of fish to catch and eat led to a lot of bonding with my dad. I remember being seasick and throwing up multiple times when it was rough. I, I'm, I'm pretty seasick myself. Hmm. Uh, hiding under the center console when I would get scared, getting caught in storms and rough seas. The excitement and adrenaline when you have a fish on the line and the feeling of accomplishment if you were able to get the fish in the boat still surprises me every time. Shitting off the front of the boat. Shitting off the head. <laughs> yeah. These are some of the most vivid memories when my younger brother is old enough to get uh, – I got to experience him having these experiences for the first time. Life, work, and the world can get me feeling down, and there's nothing that cheers me up like being in the ocean. Hmm. I guess it's my version of being in a remote forest and connecting to nature while reminiscing on life. That's one of the reasons why my dream of retirement is to be on like a thirty foot sailboat because yeah. it is kind of the only sovereign territory you can have. Sure, because yeah. you get offshore and like you're essentially your own fucking government at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah, monkey fights, drug running, <laughs> it's all all there, all there. Yeah, just grab a dolphin and eat it. Getting sloths drunk, <laughs> and and also like there's life because you know that's that's also still a vulnerable thing. Like a big storm on a thirty foot sailboat will fuck you up. Sure. Um, when I first saw this movie in two thousand nine, I was nineteen and it related to me like no other movie had. Jack's search for the friendship, the difficult conditions on the water and aboard the ship, the bonding and camaraderie, the unrelenting might of the ocean, the absolute beauty of it, the sacrifice sacrificing for the greater good. I don't think this movie is perfect, but I don't think it matters to me. Um. So thank you for that, Stephen um, S. I like I said, I and, and Moz Beat. I consider it like a personal gift to me that you guys commissioned this film. He says he said it's not perfect. I can't think of a way I'd make it better. Like I said, I can think of like there's a few. I, I think like the Jack getting inspiration from the study of science for his 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 naval <laughs> ruse bothers me, but it, that's only huh. something a book reader or someone so, yeah. that's steeped in the history of of sailing would say. Yeah. Um, I don't like the casting of Billy Boyd. And also I thought the guy making a model of the ship was dumb because like, I don't really think that didn't really help. No, <laughs> but it was something for the audience to explain like uh-huh. why this ship has got wired cannonballs bound. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's very economical. 
Um, yeah, I thought there was going to be some like physical trait of the boat that allowed him to defeat it with right, like it's like got, oh, we got to shoot it in the, the reactor in the front port, instead of the back. Wins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that didn't come to pass. And the, the other thing is, uh, and I noticed this in the deleted scenes, they did a lot better job of like leading up to the marine shooting Stephen mm-hmm. because that was something they came in the conflict time and time again. This guy would just shoot animals for huh. for sport, and it pissed Stephen off because he's like. If the men can't eat it and I can't dissect it, why are you killing it? And he's like, because I just like to fucking hunt. He's like this Gaston character. And mm-hmm. then that led to his downfall when he, you know, they, they, they came to direct heads and, you know, Steven got shot in the gut. Yeah, I still felt like it was handled well in the film. Yeah. Like, just, even the, though it was just kind of out of nowhere, it was chaotic on deck. And this thing's swooping down. Right. And, and Steven was just in the wrong place. I just felt like it gave a little bit more... I know, like I said, I'm... I'm yeah, the, bo- I'm, the books are more of everything, right? Like, yeah, and if I had... Like, these were deleted scenes, so I guess, like, this movie's already two and oh. a half hours long, so, like, that was only, like, a probably a minute of scene that I thought actually um, would have made that moment a little bit more deep. Because a lot of the characters start to get pretty thin. Once you get up from Jack yeah. and Stephen... Well, and and like Blakely, uh, Blakely and, and they they start getting pretty thinly, and especially the the marine captain I think came off as um, yeah pretty thin. Whereas that a little gave, like Mace Tyrell to me, <laughs> that that gave him a little bit more things to do and a little bit more relationship between him and the doctor that you know yeah would uh, let let it more emotional weight. But yeah, it's a pretty fucking good movie. It is. It's great. Um, and I also, the people, like, I, I just can't believe how many fucking stick, like, this is the same thing as Game of Thrones, like, you get people that read the novels and, like, the fucking series is just shit, and, mm-hmm. but, like, I just felt like a lot of the critiques I saw from Patrick O'Brien fans were, were very thin, like, the guys tearing them, tearing them an asshole for, ch- for changing, uh, the timeline so they're not at war with America, it's like, O'Brien... He hustled through the first 12 years of the Napoleonic War and, like, the first 12 books and realized, oh, shit, I still want to tell a lot more stories about Jack <laughs> and Steve, but the war's going to be over. Yeah. So, like, the next six books take place in this, like, eternal summer of 1813. Like, years worth of mm-hmm. action happen in three months yeah. because he doesn't give a fuck. Like, and, he, and, and, and the Ford every book, he's like, yeah, I'm fucking with the time. I got to tell the story. Deal with it. And, yeah. like, if the author himself does something like that to better serve the story, then who are you to tell Peter Weir that he is, it's inappropriate for him to change the timeline to better appeal to his audience? Yeah, and is that something that you tore Patrick O'Brien a new one no, for? No, clearly not. Of course not. not. You clearly love the not. books. So if he's taking liberties, let the right. movie take And I liberties. also love these guys saying, like, oh, they didn't nail the relationship between Stephen and Jack. Like, fucking, I disagree. Fucking read the I first mean, book, and if you think that oh, is – it's, it's yeah. like, like that first book – their relationship is not nearly as deep or broad or anything huh. as it is at the end of book 20. Because, of course, it's not. There's uh-huh. 7,000 more fucking pages to go, you asshole. Right. Uh, I get really upset when people – like, like my, my – I feel like it's – some of these um, – I mean, it's – it often goes without saying that the book version of whatever is the superior version. Mm-hmm. But people that can't get past, and there's bad adaptations and good adaptations, but people that savage good adaptations, like people that nitpick Lord of the Rings, and not in a, like a fan-friendly way, but just in like, yeah. oh, people that like this are fucking plebs and watered-down, unwashed, fucking toothless idiots. It's it's like a really pet peeve of mine. It's all about the order you consume them in as well, right? Like, True. If you were to go watch this movie and then go, holy shit, that was great, I and rightfully so, I want to read right. the books – then you'd go, holy shit, the movie is great, but the books are also great. Right. You wouldn't be like, 
oh, these books are total bullshit. They right. do so much more than the movie. Why? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, HBO, they need to, they need to, they need to make, uh, devote like uh, 60, 80 million dollars a season. And you get five or six seasons. I think it would be a hit. Although, you know, it'd board- be a hit with me. Yeah. I think it would, I think it would make a lot of money, get a lot of viewers. But then again, their last historical dramas haven't done so well. Like, you what know, Vinyl that? got shit canned. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Boardwalk Empire never really got as successful as they want it to be. Yeah. The Nick was so-so for, for Cinemax. So maybe they just feel like period. Maybe that's a problem. Period piece. People just don't like period pieces. Yeah. But then be. Titanic's like the number one movie in the world, right? Or second. It's that's pretty pe- pretty big, yeah. Yeah. So, But that's a that's a love story. And this is, a, at best, is a, if, if you read the right fanfics, a homoerotic love story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on a plain reading, it's just uh, it's a brotherly love story. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's 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 all I got. It's a great movie. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, thank you for indulging me on this probably long ass movie review. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to talk with people about it on the forums forums.baldmove.com if you want to uh, talk more about that. Do you know what we have coming up, Jim? I don't. I feel like we got. We got a real run. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, we got Reservoir Dogs, Batman Begins, Dr. Strangelove, the next three movies coming up. That's a murderer's row, man. Nice. So you got that coming forward in the weeks ahead, uh, as well as Game of Thrones, a little show you might have heard of. Um, speaking of period pieces. <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.